This broadcast is brought to you by Law School Transparency. Our mission is to make entry to the legal profession more transparent, affordable, and fair. Hey listeners, welcome to I'm the Law, a show that does informational interviews with law school graduates in different jobs. Today our host is Debbie Merritt, a law professor at Ohio State University. She interviews Nat Cromer about his job managing e-discovery attorneys at a large law firm. Learn about the discovery process in civil litigation and how firms are evolving and how they tackle millions of documents. I'm talking today with Nat Cromer, a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. Nat is the Discovery Attorney Administrative Manager at Wilmer Hale, one of the largest firms in the United States. Nat began his legal career in 2001, working as a document reviewer. He then worked for seven years as an associate at a toxic tort defense firm. The Discovery Solutions Department that Nat runs now at Wilmer Hale is an example of insourcing. Instead of partner track associates doing labor-intensive document review, and instead of sending that work to firms specializing in e-discovery, Wilmer Hale has created its own document review center in Dayton, Ohio a city with relatively inexpensive real estate. Salaries for discovery attorneys are also lower than for partner track associates, saving money for the firm and its clients. Nat, some of our listeners haven't been to law school yet. Can you give them a brief background about what discovery means? Discovery is the time period during an investigation or litigation in which either or any of the parties are entitled to learn about the information that the other parties have that is relevant to the facts of the case or that they may use as evidence to support their theory of the case. And there are differing uh, rules for discovery according to each jurisdiction, federal, state, and, and county. But the gist of it is, is it's the time period when any side is entitled to learn about the theory of the case and the documents and facts that support the theory of the case that other parties may have. And this surprises non-lawyers sometimes because they're used to watching television programs where the parties pull a rabbit out of the hat at trial. That's not really what we do in litigation these days. No, the rules are designed to entitle parties to have the information before going into court so that they can appropriately strategize and at the end of the day, the facts of the case are what bear the matter out. And the rules are very liberal about what needs to be shared and what is required to be shared. There are certain objections that you can uh, put up to certain requests based on either uh, confidentiality or you can ask for protective orders so that the material doesn't become public and it's only shared amongst the parties or you can file objections based on a privileged communication between attorneys and clients. Certain things protect certain information, but for the most part, it's very liberal in terms of what material needs to be shared with the other parties. And we're talking here primarily about civil cases. Yes, we're talking primarily about civil cases, yes. That's the discovery that we're involved in here. And when we're talking about civil cases, I understand that the volume could be just huge. Tell us a little about that. In the technology age, there's a lot of information that is able to be discovered. Tweets, IM, text messages, email. And so if you think about how many email messages you send a day or how many texts you may send on a business phone or tweets or anything of that nature, and then you multiply that by days and months and years, 
not to mention the you know, memoranda that is put together for, by various departments, the research papers that go into certain things. There's a ton of information that needs to be reviewed. You know, when I started my career almost 15 years ago, a lot of this was done by paper. And I went into a room my first day at my first job, was very excited, and I was shown a room of you know, 55 banker's boxes of documents. And I was told to take the information and summarize it and let, let the uh, partner know what information we had and what would help our case. And that took about a year to do. And, you know, if anybody moved a box or put a document back in the wrong place or changed things around, that threw everything off. Nowadays, with the massive amounts of information we use, we use the electronic databases to feed all of that material into the database, use various filters and search terms to come up with a truly relevant population of documents that are ordered and, and housed correctly and appropriately and that can be found easily makes the process much smoother, much faster, and much easier, and at the end of the day, much more cost-effective for clients. So when attorneys today do discovery, they primarily are working with electronic documents? Uh, it, you know, it, it ranges widely. I would, my experience is with larger firms, and to a large degree, that's true with the larger firms. Smaller firms may still do a lot of paper discovery, um, but medium to larger firms are very heavily involved in electronic discovery. So what they're looking at is usually in an electronic format. Even if it began life as a hard copy document, it probably ended up when they got to it as an electronic document. And that is what we call e-discovery. Yeah, and using the database tools to code the documents for relevant issues, for confidentiality, for privilege, to make redactions. And just to put the amount of documents further in perspective, in civil litigation, each party is doing this in two directions. They both have to produce documents and also look at the documents. Now, tell us now about the discovery group that you supervise at Wilmer Hale. We have approximately 70 discovery attorneys on site here in Dayton, wide range of experience and background levels. We have some people who are brand new out of school. We have some people who have worked in other aspects of the law and chosen this as a career change. And we have some people who thoroughly and completely enjoy electronic discovery review, and they've chosen this as their career path. Those lawyers all work together collaboratively to perform a number of tasks for our both internal and external clients. Our internal clients are the other lawyers in the firm that we work with in other offices. Our external clients are obviously our clients. The activities that we perform for these clients include um, what we call first-level review of documents for privilege, confidentiality, relevant issues, basic redactions. It can involve second-level review work, which is reviewing documents that have been first-level reviewed by a third-party vendor. Um, it can also involve creating privilege log entries, performing research and writing legal memoranda, assisting with deposition prep materials, so a wide range of different functions that we perform for those clients. Coming up on LST Radio, we'll hear Nat explain how his attorneys are trained to review documents for the case team. It's a very robust training program so that you'll feel when you start your first day like you're very well prepared to take on the work. If you don't subscribe to I Am The Law, head over to iTunes or visit lstradio.com. 
Let's talk through a typical day for a relatively new discovery attorney at Wilmer Hale. I come in, have my coffee, say hello to people. Well, if you're a new discovery attorney, before you've gotten to that first day where you have your cup of coffee and get into your work, You've been through an extensive week-long training program that includes everything from how to appropriately use our firm's document database systems to how to use uh, basic technology for review tools to appropriately address an email to any level of anybody within the firm. And it's a very robust training program so that you'll feel when you start your first day like you're very well prepared to take on the work. As you start your work, most of our attorneys are staffed between two and four cases at a time. And at the beginning of each week, we will allocate to each of those attorneys how many hours they need to spend on each of those various projects. We use those projections based on past histories of how long it should take to do a certain type of review, how quickly those reviews happen to project for case teams when we think we might be able to finish their review. So those hours are very important. Once you get into the review tools, you look through the documents. Sometimes important terms or privileged terms are highlighted. Sometimes they're not, depending on the database systems that's used or how the review has been designed. You're looking for things like privileged information, confidential information, important terms or relevant theories to the case and denoting all of those in what we call a coding panel. So the coding panel will be a short description of something that they're looking for in the case. And if you see that in the document, you select that, that you've seen that issue. An example of how to help the case team is if you're working in a 3,000-page spreadsheet, you want to note in your notes on the page where you found the relevant terms so that the next person doesn't have to look through all 3,000 pages to find what you found. So we try to do our best to to be as helpful as possible in the notes that we leave for people who are reviewing the documents. How do the attorneys know what to look for? Do they get an initial briefing on the case? Are they in communication with other attorneys working with the client? So before any case starts in our group, there is an initial substantive training call and there's a technical training call. So with the substantive call, each of the discovery attorneys has been previously distributed a what we call a review protocol that gives the background and information on the case and what's important and very often describes what each of the relevant terms that is in the coding panel, what they're looking for for each of those relevant terms. So that the discovery attorneys have a very good idea of what's involved in the case and what to look for and what's important. And then we have a meeting, usually a teleconference or a video conference, sometimes an in-person conference with the case team in the other offices to discuss anything that's vague, anything that's ambiguous, anything that needs more clarification so that when we start the review, everybody is on the same page. There's a technical training call so that if you haven't used a particular review tool before on that, that we're using in that review, you understand the technology and how to use it appropriately. Then throughout the course of the case, each of our matters has a team lead in the Dayton office on that, and they're the point person for the case team for any questions that come up for any changes in strategy during the review that need to be communicated to the discovery attorneys. Um, They're the keeper of the Q&A log. They are the liaison between the case team and the discovery attorneys so that there is a constant flow of information about the status of the case and where it's going and what is new and important. Do discovery attorneys also have the chance to find that 
one document that breaks open the case? Are there ever eureka moments when somebody says, I found it? Mm, there are often eureka moments. Um, if you think about it, you know, you're talking about at the, you know, at the outset of a case, millions of pages of documents, and we use the technology and the filtering software and, and the search terms to pull that to a more manageable, relevant number of documents to look through. But discovery attorneys really are the ones who are the front line of seeing the documents um, and then passing up to the partners and the associates and the counsel what we're seeing. And so partner or counsel or senior associate or associate can discuss things with their client, can come up with a theory of the case. Um, and sometimes at the end of the day, uh, you know, often the documents will support that. But sometimes there's something in there that will need to require that our strategy be adjusted or, you know, that we found, you know, so to speak, the golden egg. Coming up on LST Radio, Nat tells us how discovery attorneys fit into the big picture at Wilmer Hale. These are not partner track positions, so there's not a progression from discovery attorney to associate to senior associate to partner. We'll also learn about how these jobs differ from Docker View jobs elsewhere. What would you say is the biggest frustration that you hear from your discovery attorneys? I don't know that I would necessarily call it a frustration. It's something that's unique to this particular type of work. And it's not true just in our firm. It's, it's true in many firms that engage in this type of work. These are not partner track positions. So there's not a progression from discovery attorney to associate to senior associate to partner. So if somebody's ultimate career goal is to make partner in a firm, this is not the path to get you to that point. And you mentioned before that some people stay on indefinitely as discovery attorneys. I guess one of yes. the benefit one of the benefits you talked about how this is not a partner track position, but that means that there's no up and out policy, correct? There are of course standards that we hold our attorneys to, our discovery attorneys just as would be true of any firm or any attorney role. And as long as the discovery attorneys are meeting those standards with regard to their hours requirements with regard to their the quality of their work product, um, their professionalism, um, all of those things being met, there's no up and out policy that we have. And I'm sure that's true of many um, discovery attorney groups that other firms may offer as well. Now, the discovery field also has lots of different types of positions, as I understand it. Wilmer Hale and a few other firms are hiring discovery attorneys on full-time, indefinite, with benefits, and a set salary. Other firms, though, are hiring people on a contract basis. Could you tell us a little bit about the different options people might find? So just, just a little clarification on the Wilmer Hale position. You mentioned the word contract briefly. I, I want to make a distinct differentiation. Wilmer Hale discovery attorneys are a full-fledged attorney within the firm. It's just a different type of practice, even though it's not a partner track position. But they are employees of the firm. They receive the same education and training and have the opportunity to enjoy benefits as a firm employee. You mentioned contract attorneys as well. 
different corporations, different firms will bring on what we refer to as contract attorneys on an as-needed basis. And those attorneys usually come through vendors that are basically, you call the vendor, you say, I have a huge project coming up. I probably need 30 attorneys for four to six weeks who can get through this material. And these vendors have attorneys on call that they then staff to these businesses or firms for their specific projects. And they work for those four to six weeks, and then they're gone. And there is definitely a need for that type of work. One advantage that programs like our firms, and you know, there are a few other firms doing it as well, is that we find very often reviews will come back when there's additional information, when there's additional material that needs to be reviewed, when there are additional questions to be answered. And our attorneys who worked on the case initially are still here and have that foundational knowledge to you know, move very quickly and find the answers to those additional questions without having to bring in a new crop of contract attorneys, as you might as an alternative, who would then have to be retrained on the case and the materials and it would delay finding the answers as quickly. So that's one of the key advantages of having an in-house program. But those are definitely some, some options as well. There are also consulting attorneys, um, and very often those attorneys are working with clients to talk about document preservation protocols, to work with clients on how to gather the information that we need to review, to helping them to select which review tool is best for their needs, to advise them on whether or not uh, the review should be designed in a certain way. And um, very, this varies from firm to firm, but staff attorneys are often involved in the process as well. And in certain fashions can best be thought of as a project manager who keeps the ball moving forward between the case teams, the partners, the associates, the counsel, lit support, discovery attorneys, and the technology team to make sure that all aspects of the case are on point, that the review is being conducted as how it should on a daily basis, and that things are moving forward so that we get to our client what they need when they need it. That's very interesting and a useful breakdown. There's a real difference from the perspective of the lawyer who's applying for these jobs to understand that some discovery attorney positions like the ones with Wilmer Hale are full-time positions for regular lawyers, same benefits as other people in the firm. Others may be very ad hoc contract positions. Right. But the, the lawyers who apply for discovery positions at Wilmer Hale should be aware that the salaries are lower than for the partner track associates. These are not $160,000 positions. The salary and benefits are very competitive for the type of work that we do. That's what I would gather from the internet. Google suggests that the discovery attorneys in full-time positions are earning at entry level sixty to 65000 which compares very favorably to other sorts of entry-level work. But applicants need to be aware that it's not big firm salaries. What about billable hour targets? Do the discovery attorneys have targets like partner track associates do? Um, as with most law firms, there are billable targets for our attorneys to hit. In the case of discovery attorneys, it is a, a 2,000-hour billable target that we ask our attorneys to shoot toward. For the discovery attorney position, if you are engaged in work that is benefiting the client, if you are reviewing a protocol, if you're performing document review work, if you're doing any one of the number of tasks that we've talked about that are benefit to the client, you are billing that to the client. What about flexibility, Nat? 
Can discovery attorneys work flexible hours or work sometimes from home? Bearing in mind the annual target, they are required to be in the office between the hours of 9.30 and 4, because that's when most of the other attorneys in our other offices across you know, the globe will need to be in touch with them. Other than that, they may come in earlier, they may stay later to get the balance of their hours in, or they may work at home in the evenings or catch up on weekends. Are the hours fairly regular for discovery attorneys? Do they have as many crunch times as other types of litigation associates have? I think we try very hard to, as managers in the department, to maintain a work-life balance for the discovery attorneys. And there are inevitably times in any firm when it's an all-hands-on-deck situation, and our discovery attorneys are involved in, in, in those instances. By and large, I think, you know, having practiced as an associate for a number of years myself, I think it's a, a much more you know, consistent work week than, you know, maybe 80 hours during trial or 90 hours during trial, and then 30 hours if work is light to be distributed around the firm. So it tends to be more consistent than a traditional associate path. Thanks for listening today. If you haven't already, visit lstradio.com to listen to episode archives, make a contribution, and learn more about LST. We hope you'll join us for next week's show, where Mike Spivey interviews Greg Aycock, a plaintiff's attorney in Louisiana. I Am The Law is produced by Law School Transparency for LST Radio. If you want to hear more, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or go to lstradio.com.